Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Vicki Beer, Chief Executive of Project 6, a charity working with people, families, and communities affected by substance abuse and multiple complex needs. Vicki, hello. Hi, good afternoon, Matthew. Good afternoon. Thank you for coming on the program. Now, normally uh, we'd get directly into the subject of leadership, but considering the ongoing COVID outbreak, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, how is this affecting your operations? Oh, it's affected us enormously. Um, So Project 6 is a charity that works with people affected by substance misuse, and we work across two areas and there's a third one to be added tomorrow when we merge with another charity as well so that's um Keithley Bradford Sheffield and Doncaster so we've had to restructure our entire operations so we're doing a lot more crisis work we've had to shift nearly all of our face-to-face work to being delivered digitally and on the telephone um and then we've had to work out how we deal with young people and families and safeguarding issues at the same time so, and of course, when we had the lockdown, that was, things changed really rapidly. Then we had a period of kind of stability. And now, now we're moving out of lockdown. Things are changing a bit more slowly, but we're having to kind of work out what our new normality is and how we're going to get there. Has the lockdown uh, and indeed the entirety of the situation that we find ourselves now in increased uh, the amount of uh, uh, problems that you're seeing in these communities or are things relatively stable? Um, Well, what we have seen is there's a lot more people in crisis. We've done an awful lot of work recently about making sure people can get food parcels and people can get fed and have some of their immediate needs met and then then we work with people who are affected by substance use and one of the real challenges for people is feeling isolated feeling stigmatized and lonely and actually everybody's had to be isolated Mm. so it's really really challenging for people in recovery who are used to coming into a community where their needs are met where they can meet other people who are suffering and living with the same issues and challenges and they can give each other a lot of support a lot of peer support um and not being able to do that face to face is really really challenging for people so we're hearing that people are struggling with their mental health we're hearing that they're struggling with their recovery opportunities and um people are desperate to get back to some face-to-face work doing stuff on the phone is okay and we've got groups and all sorts of stuff running on zoom and teams as well but it's not the same as being in a in a room full of other human beings who are living with the same issues now has uh the lockdown exacerbated the already uh, present problems within these groups Uh, has it uh, encouraged them uh, to relapse or is that um is that not really quite the issue I think it has, it's made isolation worse and more challenging for people. So we've been working with a lot of the people that use our services to say, how are you doing in terms of your well-being? Are you struggling? Are you kind of maintaining or are you improving? About two-thirds are struggling or maintaining. And that's a lot, that's a lot higher than normally. Um, normally, people that come and use our services, I think 
sometimes up to about 75% are able to leave our services and have recovered from their substance use and their well-being is good and they're integrating back into the community. So we're seeing that almost reverse. Now, of course, uh, leadership is what we're here to discuss, so we should move on to that. I always like to uh, start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? Oh, that's a really good question. You can only lead if people are following. Um, So for me, I have some kind of key principles about this. And I think the most important thing to me is to be authentic and have integrity. So for me, everything I do in my job, I put the people that use our services at the centre of it. Are we doing the best thing for the people that use our services? Are we helping people help themselves? Because what we don't want to be is one of these organisations that comes along and parachutes in a response to a community. We believe that the communities know what, what, what they need and what they want and how to help them manage their own well-being. And it's our job to walk alongside them and help that develop and flourish. And I think very much the same about leadership. It's about having integrity and real passion for your service users and being really, really value focused and living those values it's not enough just to be able to talk about them you you embody those values as a leadership and you have to think about them as your framework in everything that you do and how would you say that you developed your uh, approach to leadership would you say that you had a role model or has circumstances really uh, been what has molded you i think a lot of it has been over experience i've always had a really really strong sense of social justice and equity and equality. Even when I was very young and Christmas, I was knitting all of my teddy bear scarves um, on Christmas Eve for Christmas presents. And I literally couldn't stop until about 10 o'clock at night until every single one of them had one. (laughs) Because once one of them had one, they all had to have one because otherwise that wasn't fair. So I've always had this really strong sense of social justice. Um, and I, I, I worked in, a, I won't name it, but I worked in a, a government department at one point and I found that really, really challenging because it felt like we were identifying ways of keeping people out of the service rather than in the service. And I actually got told off for being too helpful, at which point I thought, okay, I need to go and, I need to go and work for another organisation. And I started working for a, a charity then and that was about 18, 19 years ago working with people affected by substance misuse. And I've learned as I've gone along, I've had some brilliant leaders, some really, really good managers, and I've been able to observe and watch what they do. I've also had some really poor ones as well, and that's been a great learning curve because I've been able to step back and look at what's happened and thought, I'm not going to do that ever. So I've, I've been lucky to work for a larger charity where I could identify some really good examples of leadership and then be able to forge my own path. And then I've worked for my current organisation for for 12 years, and I started as a service manager and worked my way up. So I'm really lucky because I've been able to shape the organisation and make it the organisation that I always really wanted it to be and knew that it could be. Now, unfortunately, our time together is beginning to wane. But before I let you go, what's next 12 months have in store for Project 6? Well, it's going to be 12 months unlike any 12 months we've ever experienced. So we're expecting a significant challenge in the next six to 12 months. So we know that when we've had 
examples like this before of pandemics as relatively small amounts of study out there, of course, because this has never been experienced before. But we know that stress and trauma for staff and for the people that use our services is only going to increase as well. So we're expecting an increased need. We're expecting more people to come through our doors needing a service and needing support. We're expecting to have to really, really focus on our staff well-being. That's our number one priority for the next 12 months. And we're going to need to look after each other as well as leaders within our senior leadership team, but also within networks that I'm in outside of the organisation, because being a CEO is always a challenging and lonely place sometimes. So it's really, really important that we work with wider networks of CEOs, both within our sector, but also within the wider sector, so within business and also within other elements of health and social care as well. I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program today, Vicky. It's been a pleasure having you here. And I do hope that you can come back on the show when things get back to normal. But for now, Vicky, thank you. Thanks for having me. That was Vicki Beer, Chief Executive of Project 6. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach, as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course, a great manager in Sir Alf Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your, your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. 
Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. On me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, well, I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top; is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships. You could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years he it was quite clear who was the boss he was quite very very strict probably at a time maybe overly strict but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. 
And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment? I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay, he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about it, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were a very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I 
did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you in two. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, in most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um... Uh, well, you want me, I, I can think, tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make me laugh that day. If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, uh, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe 
uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think. Some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals, or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well, he's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but straight answers absolutely categorically yes uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so but um, I'm conscious of the um, time um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and, and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. Yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. 
and there was nobody. And going back on an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great and players. You... We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is showed... the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind single mindedness, dedication, Dedication to the job, um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not. Uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.